Thank you so much. I think we should pray for a Roger Federer victory this afternoon. Sorry, Djokovic fans. Well, great to be with you. Uh, We are starting a new teaching series today called Tuning In, uh, which is all about getting on God's wavelength together as a church family. So the next four or five weeks, we're going to be different ones of us taking sessions just to kind of unpack what we feel like God's saying to us as a church family this morning, and I'm going to kick off this week and next week. So this is one sermon, but it's going to get two weeks to deliver, all right? So we get first half, second half next week. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive straight in. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we just thank you so much for your presence with us this morning. We love you so much. We honor you. We, we celebrate you, God. We're amazed by you. God, thank you this morning again for saying to us that you are coming like the spring rain. <laughs> Wow, you're coming like the summer breeze. You're coming to love us again and again and again. That There's nothing we can do to stop you from pursuing us with your love. Lord, we thank you for the relentless nature of the love of God. Lord, there's nowhere that we can flee from your presence. Father, thank you this morning, the person who may feel the furthest from you, Lord, you're actually the closest to Thank you. You're the, you're the shepherd who goes to look for the one lost sheep. You're the, you God, you're the God who cares And so, Father, we thank you right now for all that you're doing among us. Holy Spirit, I pray that as I speak, that you would help us stir our hearts with faith to receive what you're saying to us as a people. Holy Spirit, come speak to us. Thank you, Lord God. Perhaps just where you are, why don't you just ask him to come and speak to you as I speak. Pray that you would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. If it helps you, grab someone next to you and get them to pray for you. But just pray, just ask him to speak to you this morning. And for you to not to leave unchanged and unprovoked and unchallenged. Thank you, Father. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Great. Well, last week, you may remember, we uh, prayed for a number of people to be healed last week. I think around about a dozen to 15 people immediately responded saying that they uh, had felt a difference in their physical condition. Uh, one guy came up to me after the service and he responded to a word of knowledge about a, an infected toe. In fact, he said his toe was yellow before prayer. After prayer, he said all the pain disappeared. He took his shoe and sock off and all the yellow had disappeared as well and completely pain-free. <coughs> And uh, we just saw some remarkable things last week. Again, hearing this week on the streets, uh, Steph, who uh, goes out on the streets regularly and takes other guys, they saw at least six people open their hearts to Jesus this week on the streets of Bedford. That's amazing. And uh, we, are, we are living in an incredibly exciting season. And how many of you understand that in your, in your personal life, you are always in a season? You're always in a season. <laughs> Okay, seasons come and seasons go, but you're always in a season. And I remember when uh, we were in the kind of nappies season. Just wave at me if you're in the nappies season. God bless you. God bless you. I remember when we were in the nappy season and the kind of child vomit season and, you know, that whole thing. And we would just look at each other. Carol and I would look at each other sometimes. We would say, it's only a season. It's only a season. And this season is going to come to an end. No more poo. No more nappies. And uh, we, we are now in the kind of other end of the season. We've got teenage kids, and uh, my, my son is 14, my daughter's 16. Um, Sam um, now eats like a fully grown horse. Um, so he, 
he can polish off his dinner. Half an hour later, he puts a pizza in the oven. Half an hour after that, he's cooking noodles. Half an hour after that, he's having toast. And he finishes it off with cereal. And, and then he does it all again the next morning. And, you know, we're in that season. And the truth is, you are always in a season. <laughs> seasons come and seasons go. And it's actually the same spiritually. Spiritually, you're always in a season. You're in a, in a, in a moment in time with God where God is doing certain things in your life. And the question is, do you understand what season you're in spiritually right now? And not just personally, but as a church family. Do you understand what season we're living in? Because Jesus actually expects us to be able to understand the seasons in which we live. This is what he says to the Pharisees, who were the kind of religious leaders of his day in first century uh, Palestine. Jesus says in Luke 12, 56, You fools, which could be translated, you idiots, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. Jesus expected them. He says, listen, you guys can tell the different seasons that come and go by looking in the sky. How is it that you cannot spiritually tell the season that you're in? And interestingly, the word there that Jesus uses for this present time um, it's not the usual word that we think of for time. There are two words for time used in the New Testament. One is chronos and one is kairos. Chronos literally means the, the linear progression of time. So three o'clock to four o'clock, chronological time, moving from one time to another. But that is not the word that Jesus uses here. He uses instead the Greek word kairos. Now kairos means an opportune moment of God's favor. An opportune moment of God's favor. In other words, a moment in time where God, as it were, steps off the stage and into your life in a way that suddenly you have to respond to what he's doing. And Jesus is saying, how is it that you can't understand your kairos moment, your divine moment of opportunity for change? Because when kairos moments come about in our lives, they're always to change something within us in order to change something through us. That's why God gives us opportune moments of his favor, so that in responding to him, we actually change, and we become more like him. And uh, you know, through my life, there have been many kairos moments, key kind of moments of opportunity where God has used them to change me. I, I remember one, I've told this story before, but uh, I was um, in uh, Newcastle before I was in Bedford, and one day I was an elder, a part of an eldership team there, and uh, my good friend Ian Galloway, who led our elders team, uh, came to me one day and he said, I'd love just to meet and chat through a few things. And he said, I've just been thinking, uh, he said, I would love you to stay in Newcastle for the next 20 years. I want us to work together for the next 20 years. What do you think? Now, it was one of those moments where in my head I wanted to say yes because I wanted to stay there, I loved the church, I loved the team, but in my heart I thought, I can't say yes. Why can't I say yes? And suddenly, it was almost like I could feel the winds of change changing direction. So suddenly there was just this moment, this kairos moment where God arrested my attention and says, Phil, the season's about to change. How are you going to respond? And that for us kind of was the, one of the first markers of us beginning to say, God, if it's not here, then where is it? And that's a Kairos moment. Remember, as we were beginning to seek God about where to go, there were many things that God spoke. But one particular night, I had a dream. And in this dream, I was in John Wimber's house. And John Wimber, for those of you who don't know, was a very famous American pastor who led in a movement called the Vineyard Movement. 
And he was showing me around his house, and he showed me out of his patio doors. And out of his patio doors, there was this massive river and lake. And I knew that it represented kind of miraculous healing anointing. And John Wimber looked at me and said, that's yours if you want it. And then he showed me into his living room, and there were different friends of mine sitting around in the living room. One of them was a friend of mine who leads a church in London, and he pointed directly at me in the dream, and he said, Phil, there is a lot of talk about moving to strategic cities in the UK, but God wants you to know Bedford is an incredibly strategic place. And then I woke up. Now, I wish God always spoke that clearly. But that was one of those moments where suddenly, because we'd responded to this kind of, this, this wind of change, this moment in God, this opportunity, because we'd said, okay, God, what is it you want to say? Suddenly, God began speaking and changing us as a result. And I believe that we are, as a church family, in a Kairos moment right now. We're in one of those defining moments as a church family where it's almost like the winds of change are blowing. He's wanting to change some things within us because of what he wants to do through us. And this is one of those moments where you have to just almost press the pause button and say, God, what are you saying to us? What is it that you want to say? What is it that you're wanting to change in us in this season? And as a whole elders team, we're just feeling like this is a moment in God for us to just take a step back, take stock, have a listen, wait on the Father, and see what he wants to say. And one of the, the kind of key figures, this is we've been praying, that seems to be coming through again and again prophetically, is uh, Joseph. And in particular, that moment in Joseph's life where he was in prison. And there's this kind of amazing kind of almost pause in the trajectory of Joseph's life. Many of you will be familiar with his story. Joseph, as a young man, felt called by God to be a leader. His family, and in particular his brothers, didn't take very kindly to it. They threw him down a hole. They sold him into slavery. But while in slavery, he is serving a man called Potiphar in Potiphar's house, And the Bible says that everything Joseph's hands touched turned to gold. Everything he did in Potiphar's house just turned up roses. And his life was flourishing. He was bearing fruit. But then suddenly there comes a change moment where Joseph gets thrown into prison. And I believe in that season, Joseph learned some incredibly important lessons. It was like a kairos moment, an opportunity in God to hear what the Father was saying. And so over the course of the next two weeks, I want to look at some of the lessons he learned and some of the things I believe God is saying to us. And so I'm going to give you a heads up, the seven things that we're going to talk about over the next two weeks, okay? So we're going to talk about the process is preparing you to prosper, God is faithful in trials, doing the local what you want to see in the global, focus and do the things that you did at first, Learn heaven's wisdom. Public exposure must be matched by personal anointing and readiness for the king's courts. So that is where we're going, all right, over the next two weeks. So let's start at lesson number one in Joseph's season. He learned that the process is preparing you to prosper. Joseph was thrown into prison, and I believe one of the things that he learned in this season of being in prison is that between the promises of God and the palace is a process. You didn't sound very excited about that, but between the promises of God and the palace, there is a process. Joseph Joseph had incredible promises from God. He knew his destination was to lead and to rule and have influence and authority. And yet between those two realities, there was a sticky thing called the process. 
Someone once said this, that God opens doors that no man can shut, and he shuts doors that no man can open, but it's hell in the hallway. (laughs) In other words, there's that sticky kind of middle bit where God is processing your heart and he's changing things within you. It's the bit that we really like to skip and fast forward and get over, but actually it's that very process that makes us who we're becoming. It's that very moment that actually God has deliberately designed to make you like him. And you know, this is the very reason that I've never joined a gym, you know, because gyms operate on this, on this principle of giving you a promise and a destination, you know, abs like Daniel Craig and buns of steel. You know, that's the, the promise and the destination, but in between is jolly hard work and getting on the exercise bike. It just never sounded fun to me, so I've never done it. It's hell in the hallway. It's the process. <laughs> and I think Joseph is learning that actually he is still on God's processing floor. God is preparing him to prosper, but the way he's doing it is by taking him through a process of character development. (laughs) And whether this is good news or not for you, I'm not sure, but I believe right now we are in a process. We have mighty promises from God. You know, God has called us to be an apostolic movement church that shapes not just one nation, but many nations. We have mighty promises from the Father. I think you love that video to end homelessness in the UK. Wow. Wow. We've got mighty promises from the Father. We, we, we know the destination. And right now, God is committed to that destination. And that is why he is about a process in our hearts. He's got us on his processing floor. And of course, you always have a choice, you see. When you know the promises of God to you, you often have this choice of, am I going to try and make these promises happen in my own strength, or am I going to partner with the process of God in my heart? You've always got that choice. There's always a temptation to kind of press the fast forward button and say, I'm going to do this myself in my own strength and make it happen. You know, I remember again when I was in Newcastle, a time just like that, because I had always carried from a very young age a call to lead in the church. That's all I ever wanted to do. And after my degree was finished, I thought, right, that's it. I've done my education. Now I can lead in the church. Let's go. And uh, after I graduated, Carol and I, we were newly married. And so we began to look for churches that we could lead in. We visited ones. We visited church plants. And we pretty much decided that's, that's what we're going to do. That's where we're going to go. I remember sitting in the living room of, of, again, my good friend Ian Galloway. And he just looked at me and he said, Phil, he said, you've got two choices. He said, you can... Go and join a church plant and lead, and you'll get all your giftings used, and you'll see incredible growth in all your kind of prophetic gifting and teaching and blah, blah, blah. He said, or you can stay here and we'll work on your character. Woo! <laughs> what a choice. I wonder what you would choose. What would you choose, given that choice? But the reality is we're often making those choices. We're making those choices of, do I just forge ahead in my own brute strength and gifting, or do I engage with the process of the Father in my heart? So actually, I become the message before I give a message. How are you doing on that? How are you doing on that? The process is so important because actually what you need to handle the promises well when they arrive is forged in you during the process. I don't know if you got that. That was a really good point. But what you need to handle the promises of God well is forged within you in the process. 
It's not incidental. It's vital. It's very easy for you to reach the promises in your own strength and for you to blow up in two or three years because you never went through the process with the Father. You never went through that maturity, that character development, that God making you into his image and likeness. It's so important. You know, Jesus said in John 15, listen, you are, my, my father is the, I am the vine and you are the branches. My father is the gardener and he prunes every tree so that it bears fruit. Do you know that God is preparing you to prosper? And that is exactly why he prunes you. Do you know trees, I'm told this, I don't know this by experience. I, told, I, I know it because I read it on the internet, but trees, apparently, if you don't prune a tree, it is less likely to bear fruit it's more likely to get disease, and it's much, much feebler and, and, and weak. In other words, pruning increases your fruitfulness, increases your strength, and it increases your ability to withstand disease. I would suggest to you that for some of you who don't like receiving feedback, this is the reason why you're still immature. Because it's the very process of feedback into your life that helps you grow into who God is wanting you to be. And there's something about ignoring the, the, the pruning of the Father in our lives that actually makes us weaker, whereas the Father's desire is to prune us that we might bear more fruit. He wants to prune you so that you can survive the weight of his blessings when they arrive. He wants your tree to be so laden with fruit, but he also wants you to be strong enough to be able to handle it. That's why he's so committed to working in you. I mean, even just a couple of weeks ago, I was minding my own business in a conference, just kind of worshiping and praying, and suddenly the Father said to me, Phil, you care far too much about your reputation and not enough about mine. Whew. Does God speak to you like that? I hope he does. Because actually he's pruning you to become more fruitful. So we are in the processing plant of the Father, and I think specifically one of the processes that he's wanting us to learn at the moment is the process called rest. Ah, oh. The process called rest. <laughs> That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. The process called rest. I think one of the things that he's wanting us to know how to export into other places is the ability to rest and enjoy God well. I want us to be an apostolic movement that can transport the ability to rest and enjoy God, not just work hard and strive. And I think one of the things that God is doing right now, he's saying, learn how to rest and enjoy me. Learn how to delight in who I am and who you are because of me. God's got us in that season. So why Paul says in Romans 14, listen, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I think the mandate of God for us right now is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That is good news. Rest. Rest. We're going to unpack this as we go through the next few months, but it means, you know, live in Graceland. Feast on his goodness. Enjoy the Father. Understand that he's got it covered. Understand that your chief delight is to enjoy him. Understand these things. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. Earlier, one of the ladies in our church said that during the worship time in the first service, she had an encounter where she saw Jesus for the first time in a vision. And she saw the face of Jesus, and Jesus came to her, 
and read her Matthew 11:28. And I'll read it to you in the Passion Translation. It says this, Do you work so hard, carrying your heavy burdens, your heavy load of pleasing God? Then come to me. I will refresh your life as you rest with me. Accept only the task that I give you as my true disciple. Simply join your life with mine. As you do, you will find that I am gentle, humble, and easy to please. I will give you rest and true refreshment. Yes, I will only give you what is light and easy to carry. Wow. Wow. And I tell you, how we handle this process of learning to rest will determine how quickly we get to move into the promises. You know, the Israelites turned an 11-day journey when they were freed from Egypt and they were heading towards the promised land. They turned an 11-day journey into a 40-year journey because they handled the process poorly. And so how we handle the process as a family is so important. So learn to rest. That's the first thing I believe that Joseph learned. Secondly, I believe he learned in a new dimension just the faithfulness and the kindness of God during trials. This is what it says in Genesis 39, verse 20. It says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. It's an amazing moment in Joseph's life. He's thrown into prison. What does he encounter? Two things, kindness and favor. (laughs) Almost the opposite of what you would expect him to experience. But in that very moment of trial and being shut in by God, this is what he experiences, the kindness of God and the favor of God in his life. It's almost as if in that moment of Joseph's greatest weakness, the father just says, Right, now you're ready for more kindness. Now you're ready to experience more of my, my goodness and my mercy towards you. And that's why I think men like the Apostle Paul says, listen, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Actually, God, Christ's power rests on me in my weakness. He understood something about recognizing your need of God being a magnet for his kindness and favor. Do you understand that, that you're sense of neediness is a magnet to the kindness of God. You may be here this morning, you may think, I'm doing terribly, my life is a mess, I'm confused, I've got all sorts of questions, my circumstances are here, there, and everywhere. Listen, let me tell you, if you will recognize your need of Him, your need becomes a magnet for the favor of God. Which is why if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, if you're not a Christian, Becoming a Christian starts with, with one little thing. Humble yourself and recognize that you need a Savior. Recognize that you need someone who's wiser and bigger and more loving and greater than you are. Humble your heart. Confess your sin. Give your life to him. Say, Jesus, I need you. And that is enough. It's a magnet for his kindness. In a moment, you'll be saved. In a moment. Because this is the kind of God we serve. Because the reality is, in every trial, there is an opportunity for you to encounter something of the intimate kindness of God. Because did you know that pain actually is designed to bring intimacy? Pain brings intimacy. If you will learn how to go to God rather than withdraw from God in your moments of suffering. Let me ask you a question. What are you doing with your pain? 
Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your suffering. It's possible to waste suffering by drifting into self-pity or drifting into shaking your fist at God or, or questioning the character of God. But actually, those moments when we are in need and we feel our sense of weakness are precious moments because it's in those moments where we suddenly get to connect with the heart of God in an intimate way that is not possible in any other time of your life. There's something about pain that enables intimacy when we draw towards him and not away from him. It's been our experience as a family. I would say the last six months have been the most difficult six months of our lives. And yet, in terms of the intimacy and connection in our marriage, I say it's never been stronger. And the reason for that is when you take your pain and you entrust it to somebody else and you say, here is my vulnerability, here is my weakness, here is my sense of desperate need, there's something about that that does this. And it's exactly the same in your relationship with God. This is what James says in James 1 verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Again, I think some of the reasons why in my life sometimes I've been more immature than God wanted me to be is that I've not rejoiced in suffering. I've not learned what to do with my trials. And instead of rejoicing that this is a moment for me to know the kindness of the Father, I've done other things instead. But James says there is something happening in you as you rejoice in trials. You are becoming mature and complete so that you lack nothing. What a promise from the Father so that you might lack nothing. One of my great uh, heroes in the faith is Smith Wigglesworth, who was an incredible, mighty healing evangelist, saw numbers of dead people raised and many deaf ears open and blind people seeing, had an incredible kind of ministry of healing. But in the 1930s, uh, he is, was diagnosed with having a very severe kidney stone problem. But he refused an operation and for six years, he passed jagged kidney stones from his body so that he had a massive jar full of kidney stones. And Yeah, exactly. And at times, even as he was preaching, he would feel a stone start to move in him, and he would have to rush off the stage, pass a stone, and then come back and carry on preaching. And for six years, he was in excruciating agony. And this is what he said. He said, I do not understand the ways of God. I have been used by God to heal countless people, yet here I am in almost constant agony. But it was said after those six years were over, Smith Wigglesworth had a compassion for the sick unlike any other man on the planet. And he would just have to look at someone in pain and he would weep. And the power of God flowed almost double before than before. Because there is something about rejoicing in your trials that makes you mature and complete not lacking anything. It's like God put something in you that you didn't have before. It's a beautiful thing that God does in us. So if you're walking through trials, learn to rejoice. I believe it's one of the things that God is teaching us in this season. And then lastly, I think Joseph learned that if he wanted to see change on a massive level, he first needed to see change on a small level. 
to do in the local what he wanted to see in the global. It's what it says in Genesis 39:22. says, So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph's eventual trajectory was to be a ruler in the superpower of the day, Egypt. He was literally going to be second in command of the superpower. Okay, that would be like you having a promise on your life that you were going to be, I don't know, deputy in United States of America. Well, that's what he carried. He carried this incredible calling. But the truth was for him, before he could rule in that environment, he had to learn how to rule in prison. He had to learn how to transform the micro before the macro. He had to learn how to do and hear what he wanted to see out there. I think one of the things that God is challenging and calling us to see is that before we begin to change things on a national and international level, we first need to take responsibility for Bedford. We need to take responsibility for our town. Because like Joseph, we have a massive calling, but God has given us a place to start. He's given us a responsibility for something. And it's called the place where you live. Now, some of you may not live in Bedford, so apply this to wherever you live. But God has given you responsibility. Scripture says that it's God who determines the times and seasons of your dwellings. In other words, that means where you are is where God wants you to be. And if he put you there, he put you there for a reason. And he put you there that you might shape your culture around you with the kingdom. And we've got to learn how to first transform our locality and do here what we want to see exported. We heard uh, some incredible stories a couple of weeks ago from uh, the team at Bethel Church in California in Reading. And they're in a town uh, not too dissimilar size to ours. And they felt God just challenging them about how can we partner with our city to bring change in a positive way. And so one day they met with uh, council officials in their city and they said, we, wanna, we don't just want to work on our town, we want to work on our town with you. We want to be good news with you. And so they said, every Sunday morning when we take our offering, we're going to give our Sunday offering to you so that you can give it into the, the city. And the city officials kind of scratched their head and they're like, sorry, say, what, what do you want to do? They said, but we want to give you money so that you can put it into the city. Like, oh, well, well, what sort of things do you want us to do with the money you're giving us? We don't care. We trust you. You use the money to benefit our city because we're with you. We're with you. We want to partner with you to change the place where we live. So the only provisos we have are that you meet with us twice a year to tell us what are the needs in our city so that we can help meet them. And it started this powerful partnership or actually started to bring good news in the kingdom into their area as a church. I think one of the things God wants to do is take our Love Bedford campaign to a whole different level. I hope you love Bedford. I'm learning to love Bedford. I'm learning to love Bedford. Do you love Bedford? (laughs) Do you love the place where God has put you? Do you know, yes, you could be in New York. Yes, you could be in, you could be in Johannesburg or Cape Town. You know, you could be by a beach, but no, you're here. You're here. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Do you love Bedford? I tell you, the Father loves Bedford. The Father loves Bedford. 
And the reason that you're here is to get on the Father's agenda and love it too. Which means buy homes, start businesses, make friendships, honor people well, learn how to bring the kingdom in your sphere of influence, be as artistic and creative as you possibly can, sow what you have into your areas of influence around you, get involved, don't sit on the sidelines. To know the holiest moment of our week is not what's happening right now. This is not the holiest moment. Many of us can still carry that mentality into the hour and a half on Sunday, the holy moment. Listen, this is not the holiest moment. The holiest moment is when you leave at the end. Because the reason is you don't go to church. You are the church. Can you... Can you <laughs> try and ban from your vocabulary in the mornings. We're going to church this morning. No, you're not. You're not going to church. You are the church. The holiest moment is when you leave those doors and you go and bring the kingdom where Jesus has placed you. That's the holiest moment. And the reason that we gather is to scatter. (laughs) That's why we're here. And when you think about it, you have been given an unfair advantage on the people that you work with and the people that you rub shoulders with, because you are a son and a daughter of the King. You've been given the mind of Christ. You have the Word of God. You have the Spirit of God living within you. You are connected to the one who made heaven and earth by the Word of his power. You are connected to him by a living cord that will never be broken. You can hear the voice of one who said, let there be light, and there was light. Let me tell you, you have an unfair advantage. The question is, what are you using your unfair advantage for? I think one of the things God's grabbing our attention with in this season for us is how will you respond to the kingdom mandate to go and to extend his kingdom wherever you go. Wow, I'm so excited about what's going to happen in the years to come in Bedford. Just imagine if the civic leaders in our town said what the warden said of Joseph in prison. Things are going so well here, I don't need to concern myself with any of them. Just imagine if they said that about the church that the church was bringing such prosperity and joy to our city that the civic authority said, what more is there for us to do? Just imagine that moment. Imagine that kind of a day. Let's export to the nations what we're seeing on our own doorstep. It's so, so important.